this, this series on unity has been just so excellent and thought-provoking, heart-stirring. Uh, I tell people, you know, we've been here by the grace of God 17 years now, and uh, I've learned a lot from Brother Rick. Most of it's been good. <laughs> One of those things that maybe is not in the category of good is, you know, before I came here, I never, pre- you know, I never preached long, probably maximum 30 minutes. Hey, hey, you don't know what I was like before I came here, brother. What are you laughing about? <laughs> you can only imagine. Yeah. Dear friends, some of y'all met him, Steve Bowie, over in South Carolina at our church there at Breezy Hill. He, uh, he's such a character. I tell you what, he says, he calls me, he says, you are one of, kind of like an Indian, he says, you have long wind. He said, you have long wind. <laughs> As he talks about my preaching. But I do appreciate our pastor, my goodness. And, uh, you know, I know Daniel would say the same thing. Every time he is out for whatever reason and he asks you know, us to, to step in, it just reminds me again of how faithful he has been. 35 years of preaching every week, most weeks, most weeks out of all those years, feeding us so richly. Um, and it's, 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 it's quite an investment of time. It really is. I say that not from, from pat myself on the back, but just the fact it makes me appreciate his ministry so much more. And it's a privilege, it is, really, to share the Word of God. Love the Word of God, don't you? Amen. We sang about it this morning. All right. Well, hey, have your Bibles ready if you would. And uh, we'll, I'll give you the passage here in just a second. If you're here today and you know Christ as your personal Savior, I have a question for you. If you know the Lord, you say, yes, Tim, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am a child of God. I have invited Christ in my life. Here's my question for you. Isn't there a yearning deep in your soul to make a difference with your life? Don't you have a yearning to be a difference maker? If you're a child of God, that's my question to you today. Don't you want your life to make a difference? I got this quote from our friend, uh, evangelist Harold Vaughn. And it stirs me deeply. Read it with me. Here we go. Maybe we've got it up there. He said this, Sad will be the day for any man or woman when he or she becomes satisfied with the life he is living and the thoughts he is thinking and the deeds he is doing. When there's not beating at the door of his soul a desire to do something greater, which he knows he was meant to do, because he is a child of God. Man, doesn't that speak to your heart? Does that, does that kind of tug at you? Does that stir your soul? Sad will be the day for any man when he becomes satisfied with the life he's living and the thoughts he's thinking and the deeds he's doing. When there's not beating at the door of his soul a desire to do something greater which he knows he was meant to do because he is a child of God. Now, before we move on, let me just say this. I'm so glad that Harold phrased it the way he did. That, that He said that the desire to do something greater that beats at the door of one's soul is due simply to the fact that he's a child of God. In other words, Harold believes, and I do too, that when God saves a person, he places in the heart of that person, of every person that comes to know him, a desire to be a difference maker, and in so doing, to please him and bring glory to God. That, that's planted in our hearts. The, the moment we become a child of God... That longing is there. That desire is there. I agree with Brother Harold. What a powerful, powerful statement. Now, today in our story, and we are reading a story from the New Testament, 
we're going to look at um, four individuals who made a huge difference in the life of one very needy man. And as a result, here's this, this important, they brought much glory to God. As a result of being difference makers, they brought a lot of glory to God. Hey, do you want to, you want to bring glory to God? Child of God, brother and sister in Christ, do you have a desire to, to bring glory to your God, to your Father? Man, it's a, it's a story that's quite familiar to those of us that grew up in Sunday school. <laughs> Probably some of us in here, we colored little pages that had the pictures on it of this event. And we might have even had, some of you guys know what I'm talking about, we might have had those little session papers, you know, that had the string on the, in the back and you could move things up and down and sideways, you know. You remember those? Some of you guys remember those types of Sunday school sheets? Some of you are looking at me like, I have no idea what you're talking about, okay? Well, this is way back in the day, okay? But yeah, th- these were kind of interactive. How, how you like that? They were interactive sheets. <laughs> and so we, we probably had either colored a picture, we've probably colored a picture, or maybe designed something like that, that tells this story. You're, you're, you know it well. Take your Bibles, please, if you would, and let's go to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, and we'll read the first 12 verses. Now, Dr. Howard Hendricks, man, what a man of God, what an amazing Bible teacher. Uh, he's with the Lord, but he used to say, when it comes to Bible study, Try to crawl into the skin of the people that you're reading about. That's a good way of putting it. Don't just read and without being involved, okay, but no, take a step into the picture, into the story. So I'd like to encourage you to do, this, to do that this morning. Kind of put yourself in the story, okay? Let's not just read a text, but let's let it happen. Let it unfold as we read together, all right? Mark chapter 2, and uh, let's begin there at verse, verse 1. And again, he, speaking of Jesus, excuse me, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. Man, there was a crowd gathered around that little home. In the home and around the home. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him, unto Jesus, for the press, for the great crowd that was there, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Man, what a statement, this next one. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, He said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is, is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? Which is the easier? Well, sure, anybody could say your sins are forgiven and never know whether it happened or not. But what about if he's made to walk? Verse 10, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, 
Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed and went forth before them all. And I love this. Insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw it on this fashion. (laughs) Now that's an exciting story. Even though we've known it, some of us, all of our lives basically, it still is a blessing to read that and to know what happened here. Actually, that it actually did happen. Now, from this story, I'd like for us to do some things this morning. We're going to look at a number of observations and see the applications for our lives from those observations, hopefully. And I have three main points. I'll give them to you right now. We're going to look simply at this. We're going to consider, first of all, the man. Then we're going to consider his helpers. And then we're going to consider his healer. Now, I would add to that last one, we could call him his deliverer. And I like this. I know this is not probably proper but his need meter. We're going to consider the man who met his needs, the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Okay, so first of all, let's talk about the man. This man that was um, brought to this house. First of all, consider with me his dilemma. What kind of dilemma was this man in? Well, he had a need that only Jesus could meet. He had a physical need. When it says he was sick of the palsy, it means he was paralyzed. Paralysis was in his body. But also, obviously, he had a spiritual need, didn't he? As a matter of fact, on this day, I believe we could say he got more than what he came for. Because when they began to let him down, Jesus spoke these words, Your sins are forgiven. I'm taking care of your spiritual need, first of all. Your sins are forgiven. Now, he also had that spiritual need as well as the physical need in his life. Now, think with me for just a moment. Put your your thinking caps on. Here we go. Do you know that everyone present in this auditorium today has needs that only Christ can meet? Everybody in here, every one of us, have needs that only Christ can meet. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior... Your greatest need is to know Him. He is the only one who can take away your sin and give you eternal life. He's the only one. He's the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other name given among men, right under heaven, whereby we must be saved, other than the name of Jesus. So your greatest need today, and He loves you and wants you to come to Him if you do not know Him, but that's your greatest need today. And He is the one that can meet that need. But think with me about this. If you're here today as a child of God, you as I do, also, we have needs that only Christ can meet. There are changes that need to take place in our lives, things that we need to forsake, things we need to embrace, heart change. Is that not true, brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we not needy people here today? Do we not need God to do what only He can do in our lives? Yes, every one of us. And he is the only one that can meet those needs. So first of all, his dilemma. He had a need that only Jesus could meet. We do too. Secondly, he had to have someone to help him get to Jesus. He had to have someone to help him. He was paralyzed. And I want to say, this is, this is amazing. This is so precious. I love this. Do you know that's been God's plan all through the ages? 
You say, what do you mean, Brother Tim? God's plan has been to use His people as vessels through whom He can work to meet the needs and the lives of others. That's God's plan. It always has been. His plan has always been that His people would be difference makers. That's His passion. That's His desire is that every child of His be a difference maker. Is there a yearning, brother, sister in Christ, is there a yearning in your soul to make a difference? To touch the lives of others? Man, I hope there is. If you, if you got saved one day, He put it there. They may have gotten stifled. It may have been quieted down for, other, for a lot of reasons. But I believe He put it there when you got saved. Now, that, 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 that reality that it's been God's plan, we, we see that all through the Word of God. We see it all through the Scriptures. But nowhere any better than in Acts chapter 8. Now, look at this story. We're going to have it on the screen. If you want to turn your Bibles, please do. But in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it says this, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a, a, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah, the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Now you ready for this next statement? What did the eunuch say back to him? How can I except what? Except what? I need someone to help me get to Jesus. I have to have help. Folks, nowhere better, better illustrated in the Word of God the principle that we're talking about today, and that is this. God's plan is to use you and to use me to make a difference in the lives of others. That's God's passion. That's His plan. Thirdly, when we think about the man, just some simple observations... We've already read it, but we think about his deliverance. Can you imagine what it was like for that man that day? Whoa. <laughs> to be paralyzed one moment and then the next moment, you are totally at liberty physically to get up and move and walk. Can you imagine the joy? Are you putting yourself, are you calling in the skin of these characters? Okay, trying to think, what would that be like to experience a miraculous touch of God like that? Well, he did. There's nothing like life change. There's nothing like it. He experienced the radical, life-changing power of Christ. He was healed both physically and spiritually. I don't think there's anything in life any more exciting than life change, okay? And it, it, whether it be a sinner coming to Christ, and you see the amazing transformation, or, and we've, we've seen this happen, and it's happened in my own journey as a child of God, or... Life change is exciting when a believer experiences afresh and anew the reality of Christ in his or her life. Man, you ever been around a Christian who's been saved for years and years and years who comes to a new fresh walk with Christ and the reality of Christ moves into his life or her life? You ever been around somebody like that? Man, that, that's shouting ground. That's a blessing. You're talking about the joy of being around new converts? 
It is, isn't it? It's a blessing to be around new converts. They don't know all the lingo. They don't know all the right protocol for things, you know. But they, just, they love the Lord, man. They have a part. They want to please Him. They want to be a difference maker. And I've seen it happen in my own life. Thank the Lord. Give Him all the glory. But I've also seen it in the lives of other brothers and sisters in Christ who for years walked at a distance away from their Savior. And then God worked in their lives. And He changed them and brought His reality back into their lives. And now there's a transformation of a child of God. We just sang about it this morning. Ancient words, ever true, changing me, changing you. God does it through His Word. He works in our lives. Nothing like life change. This was an exciting event this day. You know, Kevin and Christy Garber, most of us know them so well because they've been at the couple's retreat so many years, and well, all the years, really, <laughs> and did the worship music. But they sang this chorus. You remember? It says this, God still moves. God still moves in the hearts of people. God still moves. Hey, listen, I don't know who you're burdened for this morning, and it seems like it's hopeless. Maybe you feel like they're just beyond the reach of God. Oh, no, they're not. No, they're not. Let's keep praying. Let's keep asking God because He is the God who can meet that need in their life. Do you believe that? He can. He can change their lives as well. God does still move in the hearts of people. Now, ready? He delivered this man radical life change, but only because, here we go, you're listening? Only because there were some people in his life who were difference makers. Think with me now. Let's talk about his helpers, okay? Point number two. Let's consider these, these four that helped this man. First of all, whoa. <laughs> think about their conviction. These four guys, think about their conviction. You say, what do you mean, Brother Tim? They believe Christ could meet this man's need. Would you agree with me about that? Yes or no? How about it? Are you still here? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Okay. I was getting a little worried about you back on that back row. I'm glad you responded, okay? <laughs> they believe Christ could meet this man's need. Hey, and that conviction, and this is so convicting, this truth is, their conviction that Christ could meet this man's need moved them to act. Now think about that. Their conviction that Christ could meet this man's need moved them to action. Somebody said this, and boy, this is, ah, this goes deep in our hearts. We really only believe what we live. Did you hear that? We really only believe what we live. You know, there are some songs we sing that make all of us out to be hypocrites. Whoa. <laughs> Say, what are you talking about, Tim? Jesus saves. Do our efforts in practicing CPR demonstrate our conviction that Jesus saves? People need the Lord. Does that reality move us to action? Is it really a conviction of ours that people need the Lord? We only believe 
what we live. And then I hate to even go here. I think about it often when we sing. As a matter of fact, I, I, I think I would say by far, 90% of the time we ever sing the chorus, people need the Lord. The Lord, is con- he's challenging me. He's convicting me. He's saying, Tim, you're singing this song about how people need me. What are you doing? What are you doing to reach them? What are you doing to get them to Jesus? Is it really a conviction of yours, Tim? Then the song, well, how about this? Hey, I love to tell the story. We sing that and the Holy Spirit tugs at our hearts and says, Hey, you, do you really love to tell the story? Is that really a conviction of yours? Is it moving you to tell the story? Wow. You know, brother and sister in Christ, pastors talked about this. It's, it's all too easy. And it's our sinful natures that we still have, even though we're children of God. Okay? It's all too easy, easy to deceive ourselves, and the Word of God speaks of this, into thinking that knowledge, we begin, to, we begin to equate knowledge with obedience, that because we know something, we're living it. And that's a dangerous thing for all of us. But here's the second thing. Now hang with me. Okay, just a moment. Here we go. You know, it's also possible, very easy for us to deceive ourselves into thinking, and I hope this makes sense to you, that our dispositions are the same as action. That our disposition, you say, no, no, Tim, explain that. Okay, here's what I mean. For example, I feel, let's say, just for an example, I feel that everyone who comes in the doors of this church is welcome. That's my disposition. My disposition is, I'm, I'm a welcoming person. I, yeah, I want, I want everybody that comes here to feel welcome. But do I actually, <laughs> do I actually welcome people? I, we might think this. Hey, I'm, I'm a friendly person. I'm a friendly person. I'm, I'm a, I, have a, I have a disposition of being friendly. But if we're not careful, <laughs> we can equate having the disposition of friendliness with the action of reaching out and being friendly. Are you with me? Are you thinking with me? Does this make sense? I can have the disposition. the disposition. Here we go. Hey, I guarantee you, every one of us in this room today that are children of God would say, we do have a disposition of being concerned for the unsaved. We do. There is in our hearts, it resonates with us that they need the Lord, and we are aware of that. We have that disposition that people need the Lord. But here's the reality. If that disposition is not expressed in action, then it's just a disposition. You see, we, we are, we are in, our, in, our, in our frail human bodies that we still have that nature, we can be deceived. And may the Lord, maybe be, when, he, when he pulls back the curtain and shows us how we have been deceived, how we've, 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 we've not been living the way we think we've been living, maybe, maybe we be responsive to him and let him just pull it back open and expose us and confess it and say, Lord, change me. I want to be different. You're showing me things about my life. You're opening my eyes. You're causing the light to come on, Lord. I want to respond to what you're showing me. 
Well, not only their conviction, okay, these guys, these helpers, but number two, their compassion or their love. Let me put that word up there if I might, okay? Their compassion. Not only did they have the conviction that Jesus could meet their need, meet this man's need, and it moved into action, their compassion, I believe their compassion, their love for this man also moved them to action. They moved to help him get to Jesus. So I like this. Ready? Somebody put it this way. Love looks its best when it has on its working clothes. How about that? Love looks its best when it has on its working clothes. These helpers, their compassion moved them to help get this man to Jesus. And just real quickly, let me, let me share this with you. Could I suggest for our consideration that biblical love is a verb? Now I know love, it can be a noun, it can be a verb, but, I, I, but per, I, to me, when it, I read the scripture, it's primarily a verb. You say, Tim, again, what do you mean? It's an action word. Number one, God's love for mankind, what did it do? It moved him to action. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. Action. I love those. I will give my life. I will give my only son for those people. Number two, our love for God is to move us to action. Jesus himself said, if you love me, what did he say? Have a good sentiment about being a Bible-loving believer. <laughs> no, he says, keep my commandments. If you love me, it's going to be, there's going to be action there. And then lastly, our love for others is to move us to action. Man, this is powerful. First John 3, 17 through 18. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And then this word of exhortation, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed, in action, and in truth. Don't just talk about loving someone. Act on that. And that's exactly what these helpers did. Number three, still thinking about the helpers, these four, their commitment, their determination. You know, folks, we're not, we know this. It's, this is not anything new for us to think about. But anyone who desires to be a difference maker will always have, in some shape or form, obstacles to come up in your life. You'll have hindrances to come up in your life. If you really want to be someone used of God to make a difference in the lives of others, there are going to be obstacles that will cross your path. Uh, there's a powerful verse in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Paul said this, For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. What Paul was really saying was, could I paraphrase it? There's a great opportunity for me to make a difference in the lives of others, specifically in Ephesus. But there are also plenty of things that will try to keep me from doing so. Hey, that's just simple reality. You get serious about wanting to be a difference maker, there are going to be things come up that will challenge you in that desire that you have. Absolutely. Now, like what, Tim? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> all right, Mike, are you still here? Okay, all right. I caught him off guard there, okay? Just certain people, you have to kind of touch base with them every once in a while, you know, let them make sure they're, they're focusing, they're still with you. I'm looking at some of the rest of you, too. I'm going to call your names in just a minute, Steve, okay? And, uh, yeah. All right, here we go. <laughs> hey, I, I want to share with you two things. I asked a group of couples in our life group recently this question. What things hinder 
your spiritual journey and the spiritual journey of your family the most? What are some of the things that hinder your personal walk with the Lord and you having a walk as a family with the Lord? Do you know what the answer was? And it was all agreed upon. Here it is. Life is just too busy. We just don't have time. Now, at this point, I'd like to beseech you, brothers and sisters in Christ, come now and let us reason together. (laughs) Let's think for just a few moments about this thing called time. Though we often feel otherwise, time is not something over which we have no control. You agree? Am I right? Not having time is not something that is predetermined. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like we just say, well, I just don't have time. It's just, man, it's just that way. It's, just, it's, just, it's predetermined. I don't have time. No, nope, that's not true. Time, rather, is something we manage. It's something concerning which we all make choices. And, and brothers and sisters, listen, all of us, we've got to be honest today. The bottom line is this. 99.9% of the time, we make time for what we want to make time. Is that not the truth? Is that not the truth? One of the men in our life group spoke up as we were discussing this, and he made the comment. He said, Tim, you know what? I agree with that statement. It's just, we're just too busy. It's the greatest hindrance to my walk with the Lord, greatest hindrance for me having time with my family and the Lord. Just too busy. But then he added this. But he said, a lot of times, it's because of the choices we've made. Whoa. That's the reality. That's what we're talking about today. Obstacles. What are some of the hindrances that come up in the life of a person who says, I want my life to count for Christ. I want my life to make a difference. One of those obstacles, one of those hindrances is going to be the lack of time. But then here's a second thing. Well, wait, before I move on, let me, let me show this about, about time again, a second thought. Time is life, isn't it? When I give my time to someone or to something, I'm actually giving a slice of my life to that person or thing. We say, well, that house cost me X number of dollars. Well, let's compute that in how much of your life it cost you. Because that's what happened, right? We are exchanging our lives always for something. There's an exchange taking place. And time is life. Therefore, when I give my time to someone, as I said, or to something, I'm really giving my life to that person or to that thing. When I make choices as to what I'm going to do with my time, I'm really making choices as to what I'm going to do with my life. Now, as a child of God, here's the reality. My life is not mine. I am not free to do with my life whatever I choose to do. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 we know it so well. Look what it says. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is, on, which is in you, and which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. How about that phrase, ye are not your own? Tim, you're making all these choices. You're investing your time and your life in people and things. But do you realize, Tim, you are not your own? You don't have total liberty, really, as a child of God, to make those shots, call those shots, 
and, and to make those determinations. He says, you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, here we go. It's only after I have placed my life at the feet of the Lord in total surrender that I can begin to make correct choices as to what to do with my life. Do you agree with that? How about it? I do believe that. It's only after I have laid my life at the Lord's feet and said, Lord, here I am, lock, stock, and barrel. You make the choices for my life. Here's my surrender to you. It's only then that I can begin to make correct choices with my life, with my time. Now, here's a second hindrance. Here's a second obstacle. And I, I listen, I, I struggle with these things. <laughs> we talked about it in the life group today. I wonder why God told us, look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Why would God put that in his word? Why would, why would, he, why would he even say that to us? I mean, us, us children of his. We're saved, sanctified, all the way to heaven. Right? We have Christ in us. Why would he say, look not upon your own things, but every man also on the things of others? <laughs> it's because he knew we would have a tendency to be self-focused. To focus on our, our plans, our desires, my time, my life. He says, no, no, no. Don't look upon your own. No, every man be involved in looking at the lives of others. Meeting the needs and the lives of others. Being a difference maker in the lives of others. Whoa, I got to tell you, there are times when my flesh just says, nope. Don't want to go that way. <laughs> I think I'm not going to take that choice. That's going to cost a little bit too much. But here's the second reality about being a difference maker. Of, here's a hindrance. Here's a hindrance. An obstacle. And that is just simply this. Okay? It won't be convenient. Listen. You and I will never be able to walk the path of convenience if we're going to be a difference maker. Do you agree? It's going to be inconvenient. And a lot of times, inconvenience is the thing that keeps us from doing what God wants us to do. It's just inconvenient. Like practicing CPR with a neighbor. Oh, my goodness. Man, our, our life is so full already. and so I don't have time to go over there and build a relationship with an unsaved neighbor. It's, that's just not convenient. Are you with me? Am I right? I'm there. Oh, Lord, I'm tired. Man, I'm tired today. And I, I know they don't know Christ, and, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> it's not convenient. It will not be convenient to practice CPR with a neighbor or a co-worker. It will not be convenient to work in Good News Club. And I'm not pushing these, these, these ministries particularly. I'm just giving illustrations. Hey, to come every Monday throughout an entire school year, and give two or three hours of your time to a ministry at a local school, that's not going to be convenient. i got to tell you, we've got people who are just scooting in in time from work to make it to be able to serve in that ministry. Is that convenient? No. So inconvenience can be a very real obstacle to us being a difference maker. Food distribution. And I'm sorry, I wasn't able to be here yesterday. It just turned out to be yesterday probably one of the most challenging days of our ministry, I heard. <laughs> But giving out two bags of food to over 170-some families. And one of our volunteers texted me because I wasn't feeling very well yesterday. And she told me, said, hey, if this family had not been here yesterday, we would have been up the creek. 
We, we had to have them to help. Listen, here's the point I'm making. Again, I'm not pushing that everybody in here needs to be involved in the food distribution ministry. But I am saying this. It's not convenient to come out here the first Saturday of every month to get that food out of the room. It's not convenient to go on Thursday nights, pick up the food, bring it to the building, unpack it, put it in bags, and get it ready. That's just not convenient. Guys, look here. If we're going to be difference makers, we've got to get used to this thing of inconvenience. <laughs> Are you with me? I would ask for an amen, but I might get an oh me. <laughs> to serve in the nursery? Inconvenient? Oh, man. I'd rather be in the auditorium. Well, yeah. It's inconvenient to serve in the nursery. Be a choir member, be involved in children's ministry, work with the teens, and on and on we could go. Folks, here's just the simple, I'm just talking simple today. If we're going to be a difference maker, we've got to get used to inconvenience. <laughs> it's just the reality of it. We ought not let that turn into something that keeps us from being people who make a difference in the lives of others. Now, here's the last thing about these helpers. Okay, you ready? I love this, I love this, I love this. Their camaraderie. Their camaraderie. They did this thing together. Oh, I like that. Four of them. Four of them. They did it together. They were a team. And I don't know, maybe, the, I know everybody, this doesn't strike a chord with you, but it does me, and I'm not putting a feather in my cap, but I've said this recently to some of you folks, I've got to say that one of my favorite things in all of life as a child of God is serving on a ministry team. I love serving with other people. I love it. And that's one of the reasons why we went with ABWE to Slovakia, because as a mission agency, they only work as teams. They don't send out individuals by themselves. It's a team thing. So Kip and I said, hey, we want to go there because we believe it's New Testament. By the way, it is New Testament, right? <laughs> it is. Hey, these four guys, they did something special together. They made a difference together. Are you with me? I love serving on a team. There's a hymn that's not in our book that I love to sing back in my home church. And some of you may know it. But the name of the hymn was, There is Joy in Serving Jesus. I loved to sing that as a kid growing up. I just, it's kind of a little bit of a bouncy rhythm to it, you know, and everything. But the, the, the word, I, there's joy in serving Jesus. And one of the reasons for that joy is the people that I've been blessed to serve him with. Listen, please. Some of the most precious relationships I have today are those that have been formed while serving the Lord together. God's been good to me, folks. Let me tell you what. He, he has overwhelmed my life. And I don't deserve, I don't deserve the friends that he's given me. It's an honor. It's a privilege. The people that I've had the joy of serving with. So there is joy in serving Jesus. And part of that's because you get to serve him with other people. And you, you know what? When you serve alongside somebody, your hearts begin to grow towards one another. You get close to one another. Now, there are a few exceptions to that. Like most of the front row of the choir. That's not so much of a blessing as it is a 
a trial. <laughs> Who asked you anyhow, man, okay? <laughs> Sitting back there all comfortable on that back row. I got you now. Yeah, you'd have been scared otherwise. I guarantee you. you wouldn't have said that if Kathy had been here. That's right. Well, that's true. I wouldn't have said it either. Yep, I'm afraid of that little woman. Think with me for just a second here. Would you like to get closer to people in this church? Would you like to feel more a part of this church? Now, there are many ways to do that, but I have, I have one suggestion that I'd like to give to you this morning. Get involved in serving the Lord with others. Get on a team. Get on a team. Start living to make a difference in the lives of others with some other people. <clears throat> let, me, let me add this if I could, okay, just for a second. I had this as a parenthesis, but I, I'm going I'm to go here just for a second. You know, permit me to conjecture a little bit here about this story. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but I, it could have happened this way. All right. The text doesn't say it, but based upon my observations, my observations, and I'm not an expert, but over nearly 50 years of ministry, I wouldn't be surprised if among those four people that brought that man to Jesus, I wouldn't be surprised if there was just one of them who was possibly moved by God to help this man, and then the other three came alongside to help. I've seen this through years of ministry. Say, Tim, what are you getting at? As far back as in high school up to this present time, I've seen it happen over and over. There are believers who will step up and help once someone steps out and takes the lead. I'm trying to just touch the heart, for God to use me rather, to touch the heart of someone here who has a desire in you to do something, but you feel intimidated because you're alone. I believe many times, I've seen it many times, you step out by faith and obey God, He's going to bring some other people alongside you who have the same heart. And they want to do the same thing. And you'll have a team. Now, there are leaders and there's followers in this auditorium today. There's leaders and there's followers. You say, well, I know which one I am, Tim. I'm definitely not a leader. Well, that might be in your eyes, but it might not be true in God's eyes. Yeah, are you with me? God may be looking at you as a leader. Teenager, young adult, older folk, whoever. God may be looking at you. And if you will step out and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to be a difference maker. And your heart's desire is this. Your heart's desire is this. I'm going to make a difference by the grace of God, whether anybody joins me or not. I am going to. By the grace of God, I'm going to. That's the bottom line. That's where we have to start. But it sure is sweet, and it sure is a blessing, when you see God begin to bring people alongside of you to help you accomplish what God's put on your heart to do. Are you with me? Can anybody give a testimony to a time in your life where you stepped out and you saw God bring people around you to help you? I think it happens many times. I like this quote from Oswald Chambers. Let me just throw this in here real quick before we move on. 
When you meet a man or woman who puts Jesus Christ first, knit that soul, knit that one to your soul. Oh, I like that. When you meet a man or woman who puts Jesus Christ first, knit that one to your soul. Oh, and I'm so honored that God's given me a bunch of people that put Jesus Christ first. And I am, by His grace, I'm trying to knit those people to my soul. I want to make my journey with those kind of people. How about you? Are you with me today? Now, here's our last point. We'll move to this, the healer, his healer. We talked about the man, we talked about his helpers, and now let's look at his healer. Well, we know this already. Jesus was able to meet his need, wasn't he? <laughs> First of all, man, your sins are forgiven you, okay? I'm going, to, I'm going to restore your relationship with God right here. Wasn't expecting that. And now get up and walk. Jesus met his need. And you know what, folks? I'm glad the Word of God says in Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. He is the same. He can still meet needs. We love to sing that chorus here at this church. He is able, more than able. It's one of our favorite choruses. But then secondly, as we're thinking about His healer, not only was Jesus able to meet His need, Jesus took note of and responded to their faith. You remember what we read? And when Jesus saw their faith. When Jesus saw their faith. Listen very carefully, please. I believe faith, genuine faith, catches the attention of the Lord. Listen to me. I believe anytime you and I express genuine faith in the Lord, it catches His attention. I like to say it this way. Faith is like a blip on God's radar screen. His eyes are running to and fro throughout the earth, Second Chronicles says, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. You read the context, it's King Asa. And I think that phrase, whose heart is perfect towards him, you know what King Asa was doing? Asa was putting all his faith and trust in man. And God specifically addressed that and said, hey, you were wrong. You're trusting in man. You're not trusting in me. Your faith is in what man can do for you. It's not in what I can do for you. Therefore, I believe it's okay for us to apply this verse to what I'm saying today. His eyes run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong in the individual who says, I am going to look to the Lord in faith and I'm going to be a difference maker by the grace of God. I'm going to do this. God's put this on my heart. I'm going to step out. Maybe nobody's with me right now. That's okay. I know the Lord wants me to do this. I am going to take a step of faith. Hey, Anytime faith is expressed, I believe it catches the attention of God. It's a blip on His radar screen, like I said. Now, in closing, let me ask you a couple questions. And then we're going to leave. I want you to see a little video that really is powerful. Question. Do you have any people in your corner of the world that have needs? How about it? Are there any people in your corner of the world that have needs? Any people who have needs that only the Lord can meet that are in your life? How about it? All of us do. All of us do. In addition to those outside the doors of this auditorium, there are needy people all around us inside this auditorium. 
And God's looking for people who will be need meters, who will have their radar out and say, I want to be used of the Lord to meet a sister's need in Christ that walked into this auditorium and it looks like everything's over and there's no hope and there's all kinds of conflict in her life. Lord, I want to be a need meter right here in the walls of this building, not just out there, yes, out there, but inside of here too. Do you desire to be used of God and to be a difference maker in the lives of others for His glory? All right, here's my closing statement. You can be, but only if you will lay your life down at the feet of the Lord and acknowledge before Him that you are not your own. God will use us, I believe, to the extent of our surrender. He'll use us in a greater way, higher ground. Lord, lift me up higher ground. By faith, I want to stand there. He'll use us to the measure of our surrender of our expression of faith in Him. Lord, I, here I am, best I know how. Have you ever, maybe you have, just taken your life and laid it at the feet of the Lord and said, Lord, lock, stock, and barrel, my body is yours. Let me ask you this. If you did a long time ago, have you picked it back up? Have you picked it back up and said, no, I think I'm going to make choices now. I, I think I'll make these decisions. All right? Andrew, if you could... Play this video and this will be our closing. Christ, do you need to say that to the Lord this morning?
Would you? Would you say that to him? And listen, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, your greatest need is to say, Lord, I want you. 